Shepard was asking for it for three. Well, he felt it, didn't he? He was begging. Oh, what a play by Matt Mitchell. To Watson, sees a lane, takes it underneath. Montana three. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. Aztec Nation. What is going on? This is the Aztec Breakdown Podcast, hosted by Trone. I'm going solo uh, for this episode. You can find all of my stuff uh, at Aztec Breakdown, mostly on Twitter, also a little bit on Threads and Facebook uh, and other you know social media places such as that. Primarily, though, on Twitter. Find me at Aztec Breakdown. And while you're at it, uh, you can find the whole the whole squad as well that, that's been part of the show at some point or another. And I want to shout them out. First off, you have Austin at it's Austin Bolton, who is just shout out to Austin for all the work he's doing with the We Believe Network um, has, has just been fantastic. And, and being able to see even just the tiniest fraction of the behind the scene work that he's doing. Um is great. So give Austin a shout out if you ever see him around at a game or even just, you know, shout him out on Twitter. Uh, and the same goes for, for Carly, who's been doing a lot of stuff as well. You can find Carly uh, at Carcar McGee. You can find Kyle at Call Me Kinslow, and you can find Jacob at Aztec Analytics. And with that out of the way, let's get into uh, the episode. First off, just a quick update on uh the the race for the conference title i said in the last solo show that i did that i thought 14 and 4 would be enough to win the conference title at worst case i think that would be a share of the conference title and it's i would not be surprised at all if that was just the full the full title could be won at 14 and 4 the aztecs are three and one right now uh so they're they're on track for for 14 and four right you you if that's the goal losing one game isn't the end of the world and more specifically losing on the road to new mexico isn't the end of the world they're one of the better teams in the conference overall uh we we've yet to see if they're going to have a collapse the way they did last year there's still lots of time so that could change and that would make that loss hurt a little bit more uh but for right now definitely doesn't look in and of itself like a bad loss just blanket blanket statement there the aztecs are uh as i'm recording this it's tuesday night the the early games of the night have started uh so this will be potentially different by the time the morning comes but the aztecs i believe are technically in third place in the conference race, uh, but not everybody has played the same amount of games. So Utah State is first at 4-0. They play tonight against New Mexico. So by the time you're listening to this, they might be 4-1 potentially, or they might be 5-0. And Boise is Boise State is 3-0. Uh, and they also play tonight, so they could be 3-1, which would make the Aztecs tied for second, or they could be 4-0. Uh, so... A couple of different possibilities there. Ultimately, though, the worst the Aztecs, by the time you're listening to this Wednesday morning, the worst the Aztecs are going to be is still 3-1 and one in third place. So they are on track to hit that 14-4 and four mark, and I do believe if they hit that, they will win the conference. So there's at this point, there's no need to 
worry too much just about where they are, right? If we want to project what might happen in the future, are there reasons to worry? Potentially, sure. But where they are right now, they're more or less on track for what they need to do. As for the New Mexico game, I think for really pretty much everybody listening, we could have, you know, just an hour long venting session if we really wanted to. And that could go in a number of different ways. Uh, the, the big thing to mention is the officiating and what I'll, what I'll say about the officiating is this. Do I think it was fantastic? Not necessarily. Do I blame it solely for the loss? Not at all. Not at all. I, in general, I just think it's kind of poor form to blame the refs when you lose. Um, and so it's something that I, I try not to practice. And it's not because, you know, oh, if you lost by 18, the refs had nothing to do with it. I, I don't believe that for a second. And I can explain why in a second, right? Um, it's, it's not for, it's not for any other reason other than it just, it just seems like you're being a poor loser if you blame the refs, right? Uh, I do hundred percent acknowledge that the refs can definitely affect the outcome of games. Uh, I also acknowledge that sometimes that's gonna help your team out. Uh, if we, if we went back through every game of the season, we could probably find one or two at least that the Aztecs kind of got the benefit of the whistle, right? And so having it happen the other way, uh, while it is a bummer for sure, it's it's not the end of the world. It's it's going to happen. The 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 one call that I will bring up, and it's actually more of a non-call, and it's it's basically the reason I bring it up is to explain why the refs can cause an eighteen point loss potentially right it like the argument can be made and it was at about seven minutes and 30 seconds left in the first half uh jalen house is closing out on darian trammell trammell shoots a three-pointer and house hits him in the hand and, and the forearm uh and the ball is airballed and new mexico goes down no there's no call New Mexico goes down. Uh, I think they outlet the ball to House, who misses a layup, and JT Toppin gets the offensive rebound and, and dunks it. Uh, potential five-point swing right there, because if the foul doesn't happen, maybe Trammell makes the shot. Or if it's called, Trammell maybe makes three free throws. And as it happened, instead, New Mexico got an easy, easy dunk in transition there. Uh, so that's a five-point swing in the course of, of one play and the game was 79 possessions. So if it's possible to account for five points in one possession over the course of 79 possessions, it's not unheard of to account for 18 points. Um, once again, I'm not saying it was the ref's fault, but to say that it's not the ref's fault because the, the differential was too big, I think is, is an unfounded claim in, in that regard. And it's, it's that one call is basically the only foul call that I would complain about because for one, it seemed very obvious. The, the obviousness of the call makes it a bad one to miss. It's, it blows my mind that the refs could have missed it, but 
the worst part is the potential impact of it because not only was it a five point swing in that play, but it should have been Jalen House's second foul, which means he's probably sitting on the bench for the rest of the first half, which means he doesn't have that 11 to 0 run, the kill shot that he did by himself against the Aztecs in the first half. So potentially huge impact there. Um, that's that's the only one, the only call I would complain about. And I've seen all the pictures, right? I, I totally get it. Um, but that's the only call I, w- I would complain about for those two reasons. That being said, uh, ultimately, I think the guys need to be more resilient, right? The calls aren't going to go your way every time and they aren't going to even necessarily be even every time. And I don't mean even as in team shooting the same amount of free throws or having the same amount of fouls called. That's a, that's not a real thing. That's not at all how that works. That's, that's assuming both teams foul at the same rate. And that's not necessarily true, right? So I've never liked using foul discrepancy or free throw discrepancy as a measure for how evenly the game was called. That doesn't. And I don't think will ever make sense to me. Um, but just, you know, the calls might not necessarily be balanced or go your way every time and you need to find ways to fight through it. And it's, it's a lot easier said than done. I am fully acknowledging that it's not an easy thing and it's very easy to get in your head and say, well, we can't win if we're playing against the refs also. Uh, but I do think that that's kind of the mentality you need if you're going to win a championship, whether it's in the regular season or in the conference tournament. I think that's the the attitude you need. I think the guys, the team had more of that attitude last season and it's just some newer faces and some younger faces this year. And you got to kind of learn it and, and build it up. And they've had moments where they've kind of shown that a little bit, but they didn't, they didn't last night. It very much seemed like they, they let the game and the crowd and the refs get to them and it, it took them out of their groove. It took away their swagger and, uh, it kind of seemed like they just kind of gave up at a certain point. So that's, I think the main thing that they need to to work on. Cause they're going to need to steal at least one road game uh, on top of just making sure you win all the games at home, which isn't going to be easy either, but you're going to have to steal at least one road game from, from a team that you're probably supposed to lose to. So they're going to need that attitude. And that's, that's mostly where I put the blame more than anything else. With that out of the way, let's let's talk about some players. Uh, starting with Jaden Ladee, because we pretty much have to start with Jaden Ladee. And Ladee had a solid game. It wasn't great. He had 15 points on 15 shots, 6 of 15 from the field, uh, 3 for 3 from the free throw line. So not terribly efficient. Um, and it makes sense given how physical they were letting guys play. Um, at the same time, one thing I've been nitpicky with him on is being better about when he is double and triple team down low is getting the ball out to other players who can then uh, do the scoring. And to his credit, in the very beginning of the game, he was on fire with that. I think by the first TV timeout, he had two or three assists. Uh, he only finished with four. And so it, it definitely cooled down. But at the beginning of the game, he was on fire with it. And Hopefully we continue to see that progress. Uh, final line was 15 points, six rebounds, four assists. So like the assist numbers, the rebounds, obviously we'd like to see more of the points. We'd like to see more and, and specifically more efficiently. Uh, also four turnovers isn't, isn't great, but ultimately just 
wasn't the game. And and if if 15 points, six assists and or six rebounds and four assists is your bad game, you're doing something right. You know what I mean? If if we if we want to put a silver lining on it. Reese Waters is somebody I wanted to point out. He uh, you know, we all saw during the the non-conference season, he was on fire. He was absolutely fantastic. Uh the one of the one of the downsides of the game, I think probably a symptom of kind of letting everything get to the team as a whole was he had only missed one free throw heading up to that point. He was shooting like 99%, basically 98%. And he missed the front end of a one and one. And I don't remember if the game was out of reach by that point. It very well might've been, but still he missed the front end of a one and one. And he's the last guy you would expect to do that. He uh, had six points, two for eight from the field. So bad efficiency, but one thing I did want to point out, he had nine rebounds all on the defensive end. And that was something that I thought was encouraging given the general lack of rebounding over the course of the game. I thought it was encouraging that he was out there trying to to do something and, and make an impact on that end. And hopefully that's something that can continue because I do think as Ladie continues to be double and triple teamed, those those double and triple teams are going to be maintained through the the course of of the rebound um and it'll happen when the assets are on defense too i think people will guys will gang rebound against Ladi to try and keep them off the glass and so it, it's going to mean other guys like saunders like Powell, like waters like parish are going to have to step up while Ladi is occupying two or three guys they're going to have to step up and get those boards so that was encouraging ultimately uh, Waters' performance, it, it has declined offensively in terms of, of efficiency and scoring and everything since the Gonzaga game, which makes sense because he was hurt the very next game when he sprained his ankle. And I am hopeful, I don't know for sure, but I'm hopeful that when the Aztecs, they have a, they have a, like their bye week coming up, they get a weekend off after the Wyoming game. So the next game's Nevada. After that is Boise State. After that is Wyoming. And then there's a bye week. So they have a couple more games left. Um, but after that Wyoming game, they get a week off. And hopefully that'll be a good time for Reese Waters to really just rest that ankle. Uh, same thing with, you know, Miles Bird just kind of resting his foot. And hopefully Pal can take it easy and get his his nose good. Uh Hopefully it'll just be a good time for the guys to kind of recuperate. So they just kind of have to carry it until that time. And hopefully after that, things will be looking better. I mean, ideally before that, things are looking better. But hopefully after that bye week, the, their bodies are a little bit more rested and they can they can play better. The other guy I wanted to point out in terms of just kind of these little silver linings in the face of, of this darkness is Lamont Butler. And Lamont Butler, like the other guys, didn't have a fantastic game. Uh, he was two of five from the field for seven points. So seven points on five shots isn't terrible. He was three of six from the free throw line. So that's not great. I was hoping he had kind of turned a corner there and maybe not quite yet. It's tough to say. The encouraging part is he had five assists and only two turnovers. So that's really good, especially against a New Mexico defense that wants to force turnovers, right? That the the fact that Lamont had that many assists to that few turnovers was really encouraging. 
he's still struggling with with scoring efficiency uh could still try and find ways to guard the way he wants to without fouling as much as something he could continue to work on as well uh but the the assist and the turnovers have been something that pretty much season long have been trending up comparative to previous seasons and it's encouraging that even against that high level new mexico defense that it it continued that way so wanted to to give a shout out in that regard and kind of give his flowers and hopefully these are things that we can look forward to leading to more wins in the future a couple things that need some work heading into the future that to two different extents i think got somewhat exposed against new mexico the the first one is probably the less obvious one but i do think it's it's going to be important is the three-point shooting so the aztecs shot 31.8 percent against new mexico they were 7 of 22 and that is below average if you were to stretch that out over the course of a season you generally Average average is normally right around 34%. Uh, to to this point this season, average according to Ken Palm is 33.5%. Right around that range, 33.5 to 34 is normally where average is going to fall by the end of the year. Uh, you want players to shoot if they shoot like 35% or better. Those are the players that you want to shoot, right? It's just slightly above average, but... If, if, if you think they're going to hit 35% of their shots or more, that's, that's when you give them the green light, generally speaking. The Aztecs this year on the season have shot 32.7%. Uh, so that's below average. It, it, it's good for 212th in the nation. And honestly, I, I had thought heading into the year, that this year would be better outside shooting than last year. I thought between uh, Elijah Saunders, who I thought would be solid, maybe not spectacular, but definitely solid from behind the arc, somebody you could count on, between Micah Parrish, who was a sniper all last year, uh, and, you know, would, until he got hurt at least, and would hopefully carry that over to this year, um, there, there was a lot of potential for guys like Jaden Ledee, who to his credit is shooting a good percentage this year, uh, just not on, on large volume. There was all the hope with Reese Waters that I was a little more tame on. I was cautiously optimistic just because his percentages were so bad last year, but also USC deployed him as a shooter. So that told me that they saw him shooting well. Uh, and then, you know, to lesser extents, Jay Powell coming in and hitting, you know, maybe a three a game or something like that, right? Ultimately, basically the short version is I thought they would shoot better than they did last year. And they aren't. They're actually a, almost a percent and a half worse. Last year, they were exactly average at 34%. This year, they're below average at 32.7 so far. They've had some hot games where they've shot well, but they've also had some really cold games where they haven't shot well. And for a player like Jaden Ledee to be optimized the best way, he's going to need shooting around him to, to, I mean, one, that'll make it harder for other teams to double because then they have to decide who are they doubling off of and, and, you know, uh, are they willing to, to give up potentially that open three to stop Jaden inside? And then it also lets Jaden, 
you know, kick out, draw that double team and kick out and really make his teammates better. And that's something that he's been working on, but he's getting there. I think we, we've seen the progress, as I just alluded to a minute ago. So that the outside shooting, I think, needs to be needs to be better. And hopefully we see that uh, against against Nevada. Hopefully the outside shooting can can get a little pick me up. And if if nothing else, hopefully we see that after that bye week that I was just talking about, where the guys can get rested and hopefully get back get back to it there. Because for this offense to work the best possible way, there's going to need to be a few shooters around the D to make it ideal. So that's number one. Number two, and this I don't think will be a surprise for really anybody, is the defensive rebounding, right? Giving up giving up the second chance points to opposing teams is something that has almost cost the Aztecs a few games. I think New Mexico is the only one it ultimately cost them. Maybe you could argue, you could argue Grand Canyon. Uh, There's been other games. St. Mary's was a really bad rebounding performance, but they got blown out by 25. So it worked out. There've been a couple other ones that got close, but the Aztecs were able to pull it out. New Mexico, I think is, probably the worst example, if not the second worst example. Um, They had 14 offensive rebounds. JT Toppin had nine of them. Uh, And that was a good, that was good for a percentage of 32.6. So the Lobos recovered 32.6% of their misses basically, which is way too much. If you want to have one of the truly elite defenses Uh, for reference, Average in in the nation is 29.4. The Aztecs are at 28.4. So on the season, they're just slightly better than average, but you really want them to be better than that. And there's, I'm not going to say there's no reason. There's few reasons. There's no obvious reasons why they shouldn't be better at rebounding. Uh, despite what I've seen some people say on Twitter, uh, you know, I've talked about this before, so I won't harp on it again, but they're not a small team overall Jaden is is six nine sure but he's stronger than most people he goes against and he's rebounded well against the seven footers that he's played both last year and this year elijah saunders is six eight so he's taller than than many power forwards in in the nation uh micah parish is a sneaky good rebounder at six six so it's and that and that's before you get into jay pal who's six nine and miles heidi who's six ten so it's not like they're too small to rebound effectively uh it's it's something that that needs to be worked on, and I think there's there's some good news and there's some bad news with it, specific to the New Mexico game. And I'll start with the good news. And what I think the good news is is that the refs at New Mexico, and I said I wasn't going to complain about the refs, and this isn't. I'm not trying to sound like I'm complaining. Um, I do think it's it's just a fact though. So the refs were letting the bigs be very handsy. Um, at the very least, the Lobo bigs. I, I don't know. I wasn't looking for uh, Aztec offensive rebounding, so I didn't see how handsy they were on the offensive glass. But JT Toppin especially was able to use his hands a lot more than you're supposed to be able to. You're able to to push with, with your hips and you're able to uh, – at certain times provide arm bars, right? So you, you put your forearm against a guy. You're not supposed to use your hands though. And JT Toppin, you can see in multiple clips, was using his hands uh, to 
to try and kind of get under Ladi and move him in a way that if he was doing arm bars, he probably wouldn't be able to. Ladi outweighs him by 30 pounds and they're the same height. So Ladi should be stronger than Toppin and Toppin was able to push him around pretty easily. And that's something I pointed out on Twitter was that it shouldn't be happening that easy. And there's probably a couple different reasons for that. And it's not just JT Toppin's hands. It's, it's definitely possible elevation was a factor. And Ladi was just kind of gassed after playing like 38 minutes, especially. Um, so that could definitely be a part of it. It could be just another side effect of, of the refs in the sense that like Ladi didn't want to fight back as much because he was trying not to draw fouls because he knows he knows how important he is to the team, right? You you can see him a couple times each game where he he could try and do something, but he doesn't um, in order to not to not pick up a foul. Like that's a very purposeful thing that he does. So there there's it could be and it could be some combination of all those factors, but. It's it's the encouraging part is that other refs probably won't let guys get as handsy um, with Ladi and and I say that you know full well on the opposite side like hopefully they don't let Ladi get too handsy either but I I say that because I know Ladi is strong enough that he doesn't need to get too handsy right so so hopefully they don't let other guys get too handsy and Ladi is able to actually fend them off the way he's normally able to. That's that's the encouraging thing. That was for sure at least three of Toppin's rebounds, and it might have been four off the top of my head, but I don't remember four for sure. I, I do remember for sure there was at least three. Um, you take away those three offensive rebounds, and it's it's all of a sudden a much better percentage, right? In fact, it's you take away those three, and it's it's well better than average at that point. Um, and also potentially depending on, you know, what happened, like Toppin was getting those, those buckets under, under the basket. Like he was able to get them cause he was pushing Liddy under the rim. So he was getting the shots right there at the basket. And I don't remember for sure if they all led to a basket right then, but it's a safe bet that they did. So that's another four to six point swing right there. Uh, that's the encouraging part. The the discouraging part is going to be my hater for the show. So it's time for Homer and Hater. If if you've never, if you're brand new to the show, Homer and Hater is where the host of the show give their irrational takes, one from the perspective of a Homer, one from the perspective of a hater. And uh, generally speaking, I like to try and get crazy and get really irrational. Uh, I couldn't do that tonight though. I kind of had trouble and these are kind of, they're, they're minor exaggerations, but the, the true, the core of them, I kind of actually do believe. And maybe that means I am a Homer and a hater and that's, that's fine. Normally I'm saying stuff that I don't really believe hardly at all. And I'm just trying to be inflammatory. This one's going to be a little more tame, but the hater is that the, the downside of the defensive rebounding woes, I'm not sure can be fixed. And here's what I mean by that. It's, it's a schematic thing. And so what happened on a separate four or five of the offensive rebounds, uh, was that one of the new Mexico guards would come off of a pick and roll or even in an isolation and they would get by their defender. And now they are 
driving towards the basket. At that point, it is the defensive big man's job, usually Ladie, to then step up and kind of block that that lane right there, right? Put your body in between the the guy with the ball and the hoop. And that way you can you can contest any shots and, and take away any any easy layups and hopefully you force you force a mid-range jumper of some sort. And what would happen is they they would do that. They did that well and the shot would go up. But when you step up like that, you are now putting more distance in between yourself and the rim. And the the big man you're defending can now take up that distance. And they are just by you doing your job, you are now out of rebounding position and the offensive big man is in between you and the rim. And so it, it puts them into perfect rebounding position. And that happened multiple times. And it's something I've been pointing out since the St. Mary's game. Even before it, I said like, this is why they get so many offensive rebounds is because they do this exact thing. They draw they draw the defensive help and then they, they take the shot rather than dishing it out or whatever. They take the shot and their bigs get the putbacks. And so, and, and they did it a lot, honestly, in that game. And so I'm not sure to what extent that can be fixed because to fix it, you either need to be better at denying the dribble penetration, which isn't always easy. Um, it's, it's almost never easy. They could, they could try and stunt harder off of, off of, uh, other players, which they do, they do. Right. So if, if, uh, you know, Jalen house is driving on Lamont Butler, somebody like Micah Parrish might take a step over to try and make house, you know, have to think for a second, maybe try and pick up his dribble type of thing. Um, they do that. They could try and do that harder. That's going to come with its own problems though. Um, and, and depending on the size of the gap, the players driving into isn't always going to be a, a great solution anyways. Uh, another super easy option would be not having the big rotate over, but now you're just giving up easy layups, right? So I'm not sure to what extent that can be solved. Uh, the, the main thing to do is just make the backside rotations better. So when in this example, if Ladie steps up to contest a shot, whoever else is on that weak side needs to rotate off of whatever shooter they're covering and box out the big man, which isn't always going to work just because if, if you have Reese waters or even, even worse, Darian Trammell rotating over to box out JT Toppin, like when there's that much of a size discrepancy, there's nothing you can do, right? Toppin is a foot taller than, than Trammell. He's not getting boxed out. He can just reach over the top, right? Uh, Reese waters similar to a lesser extent, but still similar, right? So it has mixed, mixed success doing that, but it's better than nothing. That's basically the only improvement that can be made. And it also just takes a lot of time and, and practice and repetitions to be successful at that. And they try to do it. Sometimes they have different amounts of success sometimes than other times, but that's, basically the only thing. And so my, my hater is basically, it's going to be a problem all year long for, for whatever that's worth. And, and it's the, the problem isn't that they're too small. I saw that a lot that like the team is too small and that's why they're struggling to rebound. That's not it at all. The, the, the matchup issue isn't tall bigs, right? They beat, they beat like Stanford had a seven, one big Cal. I mean, Cal was, 
a close game. It went to overtime. They have a seven foot big, but I, I didn't think it was close because of the offensive rebounding, right? St. Mary's had some really big players. That game wasn't close at all. The matchup isn't teams with tall big men. The matchup problem is teams with quick guards that can get into the lane. And that holds true. When you look at every game, you look at New Mexico, they have quick guards. House is probably the quickest guard in the entire Mountain West and one of the quickest guards in the entire country, right? And that's what they were able to do. Grand Canyon had quick guards. BYU has quick guards and they have just quick ball handlers in general. And they surround them with a bunch of shooting, which made it harder to do other things as well. So like when you look at the losses, that's been the case. When you look at the UC San Diego game, like... They had a quick guard, right? These games that were close, it was all quick guard. That's the matchup that I think we as fans should be worried about is the quick guards. It's not the tall lumbering bigs, right? Unless it's unless it's uh, Zach Eady. I mean, Zach Eady will cause problems. But if it's the 7-1 guy from Stanford or, or Goldislav from FAU, right, who's 7-1, guys like that, I, I don't think we should be worried about. And – I mean, I've, I've been wrong before, right? But I've, in this case, I, I still could be wrong. Don't get me wrong. But I, with the research I've done and going over the tape, that's what's been the problem is the quick guards. So the hater is, I'm not sure that can be fixed. It's just going to be a problem all season long. And it it is what it is. My homer, my homer, because I like to end on, on a positive note, is I legitimately believe some type of winning streak is coming. And I think, let me, let me see how long it'll be. Maybe not winning streak might be, not be the best phrase, but I think the Aztecs have Nevada at home in this, in this very next game. I think that's going to be a win. It's going to be tough, but I think it's going to be a win. The guys are going to be hungry and looking to rebound off of that loss. And this team historically doesn't lose two games in a row. So Nevada's going to be a win, I think. Boise State is going to be tough. Boise State, I think, could be a win. It could also be a loss. I could see it going either way. I don't think they have at Boise State the quick guards. Max Rice can be a killer sometimes. Uh, Roddy Anderson has been getting better. And as I'm recording, he might be bowling out. Uh, but he's just been – Roddy Anderson has been – to this point, aside from maybe like his very last game, he's been one of the worst players in the conference, according to the the different metrics I have. And so not terribly worried about that. Um, they, they absolutely have dudes, right? They have, they have Ogbo and they have Tyson Degenhart and, and Omar Stanley. They have dudes and it'll be up in Boise. So I could see it going either way. Let's for argument's sake, let's chalk up Boise as a loss. They win at Nevada. They lose at Boise. They have Wyoming at home after that. That should be a win. And then that's that That's that week off. They have the bye week. And the bye week is preparing for Colorado State on the road. And I think by that point, that's going to be a win. And then Utah State at home, I think that's going to be a win. So in the next five games, honestly, my homer take, the Essex are going to win at least four of them. And I will not be surprised if they win all five, honestly. that is That is the homer take that I have right now. So good times, good times coming, I think. Moving on, let's wrap it up. The Nevada game for people listening, 
hopefully for most of you is, is tonight. I know some people listen a couple days afterwards. So uh, maybe it already happened and you can listen and be like, oh, actually you missed on this big time. But hopefully for you it's tonight. And there's just a couple things to look at. So first off, uh, if you haven't, go to East Village Times and read my my game preview for it because it's, it's up um, and a lot of study goes into it. So please, please go look at that. I think it's, it's a good piece. And, um, the guys there make my writing a lot better because I know writing isn't exactly my strong suit. So shout out to, uh, guys like Paul for editing my work and putting up with the same mistakes over and over again, uh, that, that I know I make a couple things to look out for with Nevada. First off, they are super experienced. They are, they have, uh, Ken Palm rates them as the fourth most experienced team in the nation. So kind of a lot like the Aztecs were last year. That's a little concerning. What isn't like the Aztecs last year is their depth. They are 301st in the nation in bench minutes. They don't play their bench a whole lot, um, even less than the Aztecs do, if you can believe it. So that is something that could be encouraging. Maybe the Aztecs can once again kind of wear them down. Uh, Nevada is very poor at collecting offensive rebounds. They don't really try to do it a whole lot. Honestly, their, their percentage is 25.4. And I said earlier, the average is 29.4. So they, they're a bit, a bit down there. Um, so that's encouraging. Hopefully they aren't able to, especially at home, hopefully they aren't able to uh, take advantage of those issues I mentioned earlier. They do get to the foul line an awful lot, right? Uh, Keenan Blackshear isn't that far behind Jaden Ledee in terms of fouls drawn per 40 minutes. And he's not the only guy. He's the leader in terms of, of that stat on the team, but he's not the only guy. Jared Lucas is great at drawing fouls. Nick Davidson's great at drawing fouls. KJ Himes doesn't play as much, but when he's on the floor, he's great at drawing fouls. So they have some dudes that can get to the foul line. So the Aztecs will have to watch that and kind of be ready for it. And especially guys that have struggled with it at times like Lamont Butler, we're going to want Lamont Butler in this game in order for things to go well. So, uh, gotta watch, gotta watch the foul trouble there. That's going to be a really, a really important thing. And, uh, where was I? Sorry. Um, Keenan Blackshear, Keenan Blackshear, is going to be a matchup problem. He is 6'6", and he plays point guard, so that's always problematic. The Aztecs last year guarded him with Lamont Butler, who, Lamont Butler, to his credit, was able to guard a lot of taller players really well last season. Keenan Blackshear, I don't think, was one of them. He averaged, I want to say, 15 points in the, in the two games where they face each other. And it was on pretty solid efficiency as well. Um, and I think he also averaged like five assists between the two games. So Keenan Blackshear was not one of the guys that Butler played fantastic against. It'll be interesting to see, do the Aztecs put Butler on Blackshear again and just kind of match it up point guard on point guard, or do they switch it up? because the shorter player in the starting lineup is Jared Lucas, who's only 6'4", and have Butler guard Lucas instead. It's going to be 
it would be a very different assignment because Lucas spends so much time running off of screens. If the the comparison I can give for NBA fans is somebody like Steph Curry or Clay Thompson, who's just always running off screens looking for ways to get open shots. Jared Lucas does a lot of that stuff. So do you want your point guard who's supposed to be running the offense also chasing guys around those screens and putting in all that effort on the defensive end? Maybe it's fine or maybe they don't want to do that. I, I don't know for sure, but I could see the argument of let's put, you know, Butler on Lucas. So there's a better matchup there. And that lets us put one of, you know, Reese waters who's six, five or Micah Parrish who's six, six on Keenan Blackshear. And then the other guy would match up against somebody like Daniel Foster or, or Trey Coleman, whoever ends up starting, who is also they're in the six, six to six, seven range. So it kind of evens out the, uh, the heights there. And honestly, I mean, Micah Parrish has had his issues with foul trouble too, but I think if I'm coaching, I probably start Parrish on Blackshear and get that size there um, and see how it goes. And you can kind of rotate defenders and Butler can switch onto him at times and stuff like that. But that's how it started out. And then lastly, I wanted to point out Jared Lucas, who I just mentioned, always going around screens. So that's a big thing. He's also been, according to the metrics I have, he's been the most efficient player in the conference. And that is surprisingly, that's not just offense. That's counting offense and defense. When you combine both of them, he's been the most efficient player. It's not necessarily the most impactful, not necessarily the best, but the most efficient player. And so it's he is just another guy who's a matchup problem, and it's going to be tough. So those are, those are some things to look out for and some players to look out for. And that's, that's what I got, Aztec Nation. That does it for this one. Let's go Aztecs, and we will catch you next time. On the floor, it's Butler with two seconds. He's got to put it up, and he wins it. He wins it with the jumper. Now we have tasted it, we're coming back. We're coming back.